Well, hello, church. Welcome to another Seaford Baptist Sermon Podcast, and this is another special episode. The last one I did was on Daniel's 70 Weeks, and this one is an intro to the book of Acts, which we will begin on Sunday, March the 12th. So my name is Michael Howard. I'm the senior pastor at Seaford Baptist Church, and if you're joining us, I hope that means you intend on joining us throughout our Acts study on Sunday mornings that you'll be gathering to worship with us And uh, we look forward to it. It's going to be a good time. So that's going to start on Sunday, March the 12th. But I want to do a little bit of intro work. I'll do some on that Sunday, but I certainly don't have time to do as much as I would like. And um, I think that it would be good to take a little time, uh, a special episode, if you will, uh, to lay down some rules for interpretation, some rules of engagement for the book of Acts that will help us in our study, and uh, people will be able to refer to it, uh, back to it, I hope, throughout the study. So anyways, let's jump into it. The book of Acts tells us about the beginning of the church under grace, the New Testament church. And this is the beginning of the final age of the world. It is the age that began with the ascension of Christ. It is the age that will end uh, with his return. And it is the age of the Spirit. It is the age of the commissioned witness of Jesus' church. The book of Acts itself is the sequel to Luke's gospel, and it picks up and it overlaps with where Luke left off, and then it launches into the narrative of the Spirit-led church. But how do we study the book of Acts? We see things in the book of Acts that can be pretty difficult to understand. Like, should we, should everything that we see in Acts be expected in our churches today? And should everything that we see in Acts be prescribed for the church today? So that's specifically what I want to talk about in this very brief episode of the Seaford Baptist uh, Sermon Podcast. Just a little interpretation primer before we head into this Acts study on March the 12th. So let's start with just some principles for studying the book of Acts. Number one, uh, I would say that we need to pay attention to the themes. There are a lot of themes in the book of Acts. It is a 28-chapter long book, so you're going to pick up on a lot of themes as we go through it, and you should keep an eye out for those themes. The first one, and I would argue the most important one, is the theme of spirit and witness. Okay, spirit meaning the Holy Spirit, and witness, meaning the witness of the church. In Luke 24, Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Okay, so Christ suffers on the third day, he rises again. And that message that uh, his work in the cross and in the resurrection, uh, that his work will provide forgiveness of sins for anyone who repents and trusts in him, that, that message should be proclaimed to all the nations starting in Jerusalem. That's what Jesus tells them. You see the overlap as that is reiterated in Acts 1 verse 8. When he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Tom Schreiner in his wonderful little book, I believe it's called The Joy of Witness. 
No, it's not at all what it's called. It's called The Mission of the Triune God. As I pick it up and look at it, I'm confused because his revelation book is called The Joy of Hearing. This is The Mission of the Triune God. Uh, great little book on the theology of Acts. Uh, it's pretty academic, but if you like that sort of thing, I definitely uh, recommend it. And it's not by Tom Schreiner at all. It's by Patrick Schreiner. So I've gotten it all wrong. Patrick Schreiner, The Mission of the Triune God. <laughs> Let's make sure I name the book correctly and say the correct author. So... The Joy of Hearing, by the way, is by Tom Schreiner. Uh, so now that you're thoroughly confused, Patrick Schreiner, in his book, The Mission of the Triune God, says that the mission moves like this. You see the Father orchestrating things from his throne in heaven through the risen and exalted Christ and through the Spirit, activating the word to enact salvation, which creates the church who become witnesses. And then that cycle just repeats itself all through the book of Acts as the gospel is moving from Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of the Jewish world, to Rome, the epicenter of the pagan world. And the spirit is especially important to how the gospel moves, uh, how the witness multiplies, right? It is the power of the spirit they wait on in Jerusalem. The spirit is mentioned 57 times in the book. None of that's by mistake. So spirit and witness, that's a theme you need to look for. Secondly, we need to be looking for the theme of promise and fulfillment. There are all these big speeches that you're going to see in the book of Acts, and every major speech shows that Christ has fulfilled the scriptures by quoting from the Old Testament. Why? Because that's how he taught the disciples to interpret the Bible, right? If we go back to what he said in Luke 24, he said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So when they go and they teach the scriptures, they are going to quote from the Old Testament to show how Jesus fulfills the scriptures. That's how Jesus taught them to, uh, to, to preach and to teach. And it is a theological emphasis in the book of Acts that Christ is the fulfillment of the scriptures and the church are witnesses to his kingdom message. So spirit and witness, promise and fulfillment. Another theme would be Jews and Gentiles. There's this new community, the church, that is being formed in Christ's blood and now consists of Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish believers wondered if they were abandoning the faith of their ancestors by welcoming these Gentiles and all their unclean food to their tables and into their homes. And it was confusing. And it was equally as confusing for the Gentiles who wondered, you know, do these Jewish people feel superior to us or something? Um, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11, tells us the spiritual reality of the New Testament church. It says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Gentiles used to be far off from the covenant. You've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. So not separation between Jew and Gentile, but instead one body in place of the two, so making peace, um, and, and this uh, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's the theological reality that sits like an umbrella over the book of Acts, all of its narrative. 
But the church is still learning how to embrace that, learning how to live in the shade of Christ's atoning death as Jew and Gentile uh, under that umbrella. So it's a challenge, and you see the tension all throughout the book of Acts. Uh, Another theme is male and female. Women play a big part in the early church. Acts shows that. They have prominent roles, uh, and that stands out. That stands out in the ancient world. And Luke writes to show how God uses diversity to bring about unity and to glorify himself. Satan and demons would be another theme that we see throughout Acts. In the same way that Jesus is attacked on earth, once he ascends, Satan turns his fangs on Jesus' bride and he goes after the church. So just like Satan tried to come for Christ in Luke, now he comes for the church in Acts. This is uh, what we're seeing, if I could connect it to what we're studying on Wednesdays. Revelation 12, verses 13 and 14 which, Lord willing, we will see on, uh, on, on March 15th, 2023, when we gather for midweek. It says, And when the dragon, that Satan, saw that he'd been thrown down to earth, speaking about how he is defeated in the, um, the, the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, it says he pursued the woman, that's the church, who had given birth to the male child, right? It's the people of God. Uh, Jesus is born from the lineage of Israel. Israel's the church under the law. Um, the New Testament church is the church under grace. Both are represented in the woman in Revelation 12. It says, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, referring to um, the escape from the Exodus in Exodus 19, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. And so during this age of the church, Satan, who's angry that he was not able to kill Christ, is hunting Christ's bride is hunting um, the the woman, right? Is hunting the people of God. But as she witnesses in the wilderness of this world, she is nourished by the Lord throughout the church age. But Satan and his demons are hot on the trail of the church throughout the book of Acts. Another theme, kind of in the same vein of Jew and Gentile and male and female, Uh, Another theme in terms of kind of social tension would be rich and poor. The New Testament church wasn't just dealing with the ethnic tensions. They're dealing with the coexistence of these different socioeconomic statuses with the, the rich believers and the poor believers. There was a big social gap between the rich and the poor in that world. And you had people coming to Christ from all the different levels of status in society And it was a big adjustment for the church to see one another equally, to coexist with one another, because the rich and the poor coexisted much less in in, in the first century ancient world uh, than they do today. So uh, you see the church wrestling with this in the book of Acts. You see them uh, wrestling with this in the pastoral letters. And then uh, finally, I would say that uh, Rome and paganism is a theme in the book of Acts. The church grows in the political and spiritual realm of Rome. The newfound faith of the Christians in the church, it really was quite an awkward fit with the political and the spiritual culture of the Roman Empire. And uh, in that empire, you had emperor worship, you had prostitution cults, you had statues built to false gods, you had Greek philosophy, Greco-Roman philosophy, Hellenistic philosophy. And so this is the religious soil, the cultural soil that the church was taking root in as it reached the end of the earth, as it moved from Jerusalem, the epicenter of Judaism, to Rome, the epicenter of the Roman world. 
And as people stepped out of that life and that culture and into the church, as they repented and put their faith in Christ, it was just a lot to figure out for the Jewish and the Gentile brothers and sisters. So uh, both of them were trying to figure out how do we now live in this world? All right. So that being stated, those are principles for us to uh, to be looking for. And, and just to review, uh, we would say spirit and witness, promise and fulfillment, Jews and Gentiles, male and female, Satan and demons, rich and poor, Roman paganism. Uh, before we go, rules for interpretation and application. I, I think it's important we have some thumb rules that we use. Kind of like in Revelation, we have rules like numbers tend to mean things in Jewish apocalyptic literature, uh, and we should look for that. You know, uh, the number seven uh, tends to mean completeness from the divine side. The number 10, or excuse me, the number 12 represents completeness from the human side. So like, we, we use these, uh, these uh, interpretive rules as we're going throughout the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. Similarly, we have rules of interpretation and application uh, when it comes to going through Acts on Sundays. First of all, most of what we read in Acts is descriptive and not prescriptive, okay? It's descriptive and not prescriptive. Here's the difference. A passage is descriptive if it is simply describing something that happened, while a, patch, a, a passage is prescriptive if it is specifically teaching something that should happen, okay? In Acts 1, they cast lots to replace Judas. Is that describing how Judas was replaced, or is that prescribing the fact that this is how the church should always elect leaders going forward, by casting lots? In Acts 6, the apostles call on the church to choose men from among them to serve tables. If these are the prototypes for deacons, which I will argue they are, is that always how deacons should be selected, or is it simply describing how these prototypical deacons were selected? Is it wrong if a church has a church government set up where the deacons are selected by elders instead of the congregation, is that wrong because of what we see in Acts 6? In Acts, you often see the gift of tongues accompanying the initial indwelling of the Spirit when someone is saved. Is that always what happens when people are saved? Or is it describing what was happening at that time? Is there some sort of second blessing that you need after you are saved? Or is the activity of the Spirit a bit different during this time? because it was important that salvation was clearly authenticated as Gentiles were coming to Christ and being brought in on the covenant. Acts is a narrative. Narratives often tell us stories, describe to us what happened without saying, without prescribing, this is what you should always do. So as we're reading Acts, we should read the descriptions of what happened and not assume that this is what we should all be doing. In some cases, the descriptive will provide applicable practices, right? So like, for example, Acts 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay. The Puritans read this passage 
And they were like, man, the church just needs to devote themselves to the teaching and the preaching of the word and to biblical community, to taking the Lord's Supper together, to baptizing um, as a symbol of the gospel, to praying together, to worshiping together day by day, uh, to being hospitable with one another, uh, to being generous with one another and sacrificial with one another. And if we do this, we believe that God will grow the church. So they read a descriptive uh, passage and they took some of the principles there and they said, let's prescribe them. Yes, absolutely. But in other cases, like with the casting of lots in chapter one, well, no, that is not something we continue to do because in chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes. And so to continue to cast lots would be unnecessary because now we have the Spirit to lead us. Okay? So, uh, although I did see a Christian uh, a Christian pastor on Twitter uh, joking that the casting of lots is actually a really great way to decide which one of your children get the PlayStation first. So, maybe there is some use of it in our homes, but certainly not how we're going to pick leadership uh, in the church now that we have the spirit. So that would be uh, an interpretive rule of thumb that we should keep in mind throughout our study. Most of what we read in Acts is descriptive. It is not prescriptive. But in the descriptions, we are going to get things that uh, principles that we can apply and that we can use. How do you know when to do that? Principle number two. Do not study Acts and do not interpret Acts in isolation, but wash its narrative through the New Testament letters. If I want to understand the theology of the gift of tongues and spiritual gifts in general and what its role is in the church today, I can't get that from Acts alone. I need to study Acts and then wash its narrative, which is descriptive, through Paul's prescriptive teachings on spiritual gifts in Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians to really come to a place where I've got something comprehensive. If I want to understand church government, okay, and I want to build some good ecclesiology, which means the study of the church, I need to wash the deacon and elder issues that I read about in Acts through Paul and Peter's instructions in 1 Timothy and in Titus and in Peter's pastoral epistles. Otherwise, I'm in danger of building an entire ecclesiology that might actually contradict something in Paul's letters. But if I'm trying to reach conclusions, okay, that God never desires for me to reach by studying Acts in isolation, what I'm doing is just spinning my wheels and I'm being ignorant in how I'm handling God's word. We don't want to be that way. So it's a descriptive narrative, which means that we can't go through and try to prescribe a bunch of things. And the way we discern what is descriptive from what is prescriptive is we wash everything through the teachings of the New Testament and particularly the epistles. Another uh, principle for us, I have two more and then we're going to be done. Don't read Acts as if it took place in a galaxy far, far away a long, um, a long, long time ago, like Star Wars, okay? Acts is a story that took place in our world. And the gospel that moved in our world then is on the move through the mouth of Christian witness in our world now. The stuff you read about in Acts is all the planning and activity and the fruit of gospel ministry. That same gospel ministry is what we're committed to at Seaford. And the same spirit that carries the gospel along in Acts is what uh, is the same spirit doing that in our community and who will carry the gospel along in our community. Uh, 
So when we read it, we should read it the way a military commander might uh, go back and read about how George Washington strategically won the country in the American Revolution, right? Because that military commander will be reading that as a committed servant who wants to repeat the successes of those who have gone before us. Uh, Tony Marita, he has a a, a, a very nice non-academic commentary of the book of Acts. And in it, he says, we should not read Acts like cold scholars. We also should not read Acts like a casual admirer. Instead, we should read it like a committed soldier, or I could say a committed servant. He's going back and saying, how did they do it? Because I want to repeat the successes of those who served in the kingdom and for the kingdom before me. And then lastly, much like Revelation, we need to read Acts with our Old Testament close by. There's 37 outright quotations from the Old Testament in the narrative, most coming in the first half of the book. There are allusions throughout. There's fulfillment throughout. You need your Old Testament to understand the book of Acts. I hope that these themes, these rules of thumb, will be uh, helpful for us. Ultimately, what we will see starting on March 12th is the continuing work of Christ in Acts. It's exciting, right? We've gone through Luke, Christ ascends, the story of Luke's gospel then carries on in Christ's followers. And what we're going to see in Acts is Christ building the church through the spirit-empowered witness of God's people to Christ's resurrection as the Father orchestrates it all from his throne. And as um, a church, what Acts is going to teach us, according to Kevin DeYoung, is that nothing is uh, possible without Jesus, even if our church is super active. De Young says great things are possible with Jesus, even if your church has limited resources, because the Spirit of God and the Word of God are more than enough to do the work of God. Therefore, as long as Jesus ministers, we can minister. Jesus is still ministering as Luke ends and Acts begins. Jesus is still ministering as Acts ends and the rest of the New Testament unfolds. And Jesus is still ministering now through us. Therefore, as we are reading Acts, it's going to show us how to be his hands and feet and the power of the Spirit through the orchestration of the Father. So it's going to be wonderful. Let's pray right now uh, to that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not hidden the truth from us and that you have revealed it in your word. We thank you that you have made us a part of the great cloud of church age believers who are witnesses to the truth of the glorious gospel of grace, which began at Pentecost and has spread to every nation and tribe and people and language. Thank you. We have been born again by the power of the spirit and we have been baptized into the body of Christ and Father, what we ask now is that you would help us understand that your promises to your people still stand and that one day they will be all fulfilled. And I pray, Father, that you would give us understanding of your word in these difficult days when people all around us seem to be turning their back on you and that you will make us witnesses to uh, the truth of your gospel, just like those we read about in Acts. And we pray that you would hasten the day when your kingdom at last will be set up to your praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, I love you all. Very excited to get started in the book of Acts. And um, yep, it's coming. It is soon, Lord willing. And uh We'll close with our usual Seaford benediction. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.